the book of James. You know, I look out over the congregation this morning, it looked like we, if we'll, with the crowd, the attendance for one thing, and then for some of us, it's just like we're on a post-Easter Sunday hangover. What is this? Huh? Good. I'm glad you're here. Are you glad you're here? Getting back in the book of James, temptation and trust. Go look in James 1, go look in Luke 4, have an outline in your bulletin. If you're a first-time guest with us today, thank you for choosing Clear First. You had a lot of choices, and you chose to be with us today, so thank you so much. Now, look around us, the rounds in the world today. If you haven't looked hard enough, you'll notice there are a lot of warning signs that are everywhere. And if you ignore those warning signs from what the book of James calls the, the evil desires that we all deal with on the inside, uh, maybe some of our own junk. I'm not the only one here who's carrying around junk. Some of you are carrying around some junk also. Then we all can be subject to failure. We all can be subject to even moral or ethical failure if we're not careful. So the book of James talks about the anonymity of sin. And, and sin is like crack cocaine. You can't control it. You can't have just a little bit of it. You can't have that. You know, in all the years I've been alive, I never heard anyone say, you know, I, I, I got a little bit of cancer. That, that never happens. If cancer has discovered your body, what you'll do is you'll do everything you can to eradicate that cancer. Why? Cancer can kill you. Well, sin is a cancer to our soul. And here's the anatomy of sin. It's found in James chapter 1, verse 14 through 15. But each of you is tempted when you are dragged away by your own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So the desire in itself, you'll notice here, is not sin. It's when we allow that, that desire to persist, when we allow it to, to grow in our life. And so here we see that the consequence of, of unchecked desire in our life is death. And I think what he's really talking about is, is death in relationships, death in, in career, death in reputation, death in, in self-esteem. It's the kind of death that, that comes from from failure to deal with those evil desires for those temptations that come our way. So what happens is when we, we do not deal with evil desires, when we do not deal with those temptations that come our way, we allow them to persist. And it begins to infiltrate our thoughts. It begins us to draw us away from the will of God. And after a while, our actions are not what God is pleasing to God. And it, 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 it finally formulates into sin. And what is sin? Sin separates us from God and becomes sin unplugged. Sin unplugged. It's like the cell phone. You know, when, when, I, when I, a lot of times I forget on a regular basis when I'm at home to, to plug my cell phone up at night to, to let it recharge, uh, to get back its source of power. And then the next day, I'm, I'm talking on my cell phone, and I, I hear that, that little beep, and it's a warning to let me know that the battery is about to run out. There's no power in it. No, I think the same thing can happen to us when we allow our desires, our, our, the temptations that come to face us, 
to have us stray from the source of our power, to stray from the source of the one who gives us the ability to, to control those desires and temptations that we face every day. So sin, yeah, it, it's, it's like crack. You, you can't control it. If you think you can, then you are being deceived. And any of us who have this uh, addictive compulsive disorder, dis, 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 disorders in our life, these behaviors that are compulsive, I have those. Those can be ones from, from overeating or not being able to control your eating to misdirected sexual behavior that, that you just kind of rationalize in your mind that you can control but you can't. And after a while, we, we become consumed with this compulsive behavior and we'll continue to, to practice that behavior regardless of the escalating risk that it presents to us and other people. And for instance, it's always going to be an escalating risk. It's always going to want to grow and multiply, just like the cancerous cell. So what I want us to do today is, is, is look at, at how Jesus dealt with temptation. I can find no better, better example. Now, the Bible says Jesus was tempted in all things. So every temptation that, that you and I experience, every desire, every thought that comes to our mind, Jesus can identify with. And Jesus, as we all know, was sinless. Now, the desire that many times comes to us, we've got to understand this, that is not sin. The sin is when that desire takes root and it becomes a physical action. You see, temptation never took root or temptation never had a, a physical action out of Jesus' life because he lived in complete dependence upon the Father. Now, so today... What I want us to look at, I want us to see three different ways that Jesus dealt with temptation. Look in Luke chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God... Tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, People do not live by bread alone. Now, most of you know this. Jesus was quoting a book in the Old Testament. He was quoting the book of, of Deuteronomy. Now, the only way you're going to be successful in your life is to learn how to walk in the Spirit of God on an everyday basis. And when you make that commitment to walk in the Spirit of God, guess what? You're always going to be tempted just because you're walking in the Spirit of God doesn't eliminate you from temptation. You're going to be tempted when you're trying to walk in the Spirit of God with instant gratification. You're going to be tempted with instant feel-goods. Why? We live in that kind of culture. We live in that society. I want it now. Now, James also talks about a double-minded person. And he talks about that person who will never receive anything from God. Well, if that's the case, I want to know, what is a double-minded person? I mean, they got two minds? No, they got two brains up here? Well, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He was led there for a specific purpose. It wasn't to be tempted by the devil. That wasn't the purpose. That wasn't the reason. He was led into the wilderness for the purpose of fasting. Now, how many of you fasted? Anybody been on any kind of fast before? Okay. 
We don't fast just to deprive ourselves of food. We don't just do it for that reason or whatever else. I heard of someone one time who was fasting in Lent, and they were fasting from negative thoughts. So, see, you know, you can be something else. Now, we fast so that we can, in a, a, a deeper way, pursue and, and discern the Spirit of God for our life. That's what Jesus was doing those 40 days. He was getting instructions from God the Father. And so temporarily what you have to do is you have to set aside some things that are not bad in and of themselves so that we can, we can pull all of our energies together. We can start focusing on what God's next step in our life is going to be. That's what Jesus was doing those 40 days. So I always call this temptation. I call this distraction to instant feel-goods. I call this the, the, the dessert tray syndrome. Now, it's like you're sitting at a restaurant and you just finished a delicious meal and then the server comes up carrying that tray with all of those desserts on it. And isn't it neat how they can keep that ice cream and it won't melt for hours at a time? Because you know those things are plastic stuff or whatever it is. But they bring that over here and they describe each one and what it is and how it's made and how you need it and how you deserve it. And you know, but just before you went out to eat a week or so earlier, you made a commitment to God and you made a commitment to yourself and family and somebody else. You know what? I am going on a diet and I'm going to do away with dessert. And wham! All of a sudden, there's get behind me dessert temptation. Screaming, you need me, you want me. That's a dessert tray syndrome. You may not have that temptation. That may not be a syndrome in your life. That may not be a dimension in your life. But whatever it is, if you're trying to focus on the will of God, if you're trying to focus on what God desires for your life, the devil's going to throw something at you to tempt you to get your eyes off of that and get you headed in the direction he wants you to go instead of the direction God wants you to go. So, the dessert tray syndrome, that is, in a sense, kind of a double-mindedness that God is talking about. You know, you want to be godly, but oh, I can't resist it. But you can't practice those, those desires and that discipline that God has called you to to help discern what that will is that God has for your life. So can anybody in this room relate to that today? Can anybody do that? Just do this. That's why I'm asking. It's a little Methodist movement there, okay? All right. All right. Now, here's how temptation works. We want to be godly, but we practice deceptive behavior at the same time. That's double-mindedness. Now, how many of you recognize the name of Ted Haggard? Anybody? Okay. Ted Haggard was once the pastor of a very large Bible-based church in Colorado Springs, he was a crusader for family and a crusader against gay rights and gay marriage. And, and the whole time he was, he was a crusader for these just cause, he was engaging in services of a male prostitute. Double-minded. That's what it means. You preach, you live, you talk about one set of values to your children, your friends, and everybody else while you're living another. Friends, it's cancer and it's death. It will get you. 
It'll destroy you. You don't play with it. Now, from my little clip, we notice we live in a fast food nation, right? And the result of the fast food has made us the number one nation in the world that suffers from obesity. Now, with the wealth and all the things we have in our metal community that we have here in the United States, we also have the highest rate of diabetes in the world, and we're number one in type 2 juvenile diabetes in the world. Now, I want to ask you something. What does all of that tell us about instant feel-goodism? What does that tell us about instant feel-goods? What they do is they subvert us from God's natural system of provision. Now, it happens in many ways, like debt. We just had a group just finished, graduated from Dave Ramsey's school. In fact, this Thursday, we're showing a town hall meeting here at this place via link satellite of, of, the, of, the, of the economic crisis we're facing, and it's going to be live from Dave Ramsey's studios in Nashville. And I invite you to come and be part of that. But what happens is, when we go into debt, guess what? That's an instant feel good. But it subverts God's natural system that he wants to provide for us. And that God is our source. Now, you know, when you have enough money, you, you, you go and, like most of us, we buy the thing that we seek. And when you, when you work hard, it's, it's to work to, to do something. According to God's way of doing things, when you work hard, it's to delay that instant gratification. It's to delay that temptation to get in debt. Because you see, none of that honors God. Same thing that we have with, with sex and pornography and a lot of other kind of things. You know, sex is about relationship. It's about intimacy. And it's the only way you can know intimacy is through the hard work of marriage. And guess what? Every time we step out of the commitment of marriage to try to find and have that instant gratification and fulfillment in some other type of sexual relationship, it's going to end in death. It's going to end in death. Now, there's nothing wrong with bread. Jesus was being tempted by the devil. Fasting for 40 days. The devil comes up to Jesus on what we call the Mount of Temptation, and he holds out the dessert tray to Jesus. I know you're hungry. I've been watching you. Come on. It's not going to hurt. Just a little bit. Turn these stones into bread. You're hungry. The dessert tray looks tempting. Looks tempting. The devil really wasn't trying to get Jesus to eat bread or see a little miracle. The devil was trying to get Jesus to abandon pursuing and discerning the will of God the Father. To get his mind off that to something else. Double-mindedness. That's what he was trying to do, dear friends. So today, he's doing the same thing. And one thing we got to understand is we need to be patient. Now, today, when we want a loaf of bread, what do we do? Go to the store. 
But you know, there are places in the world today, and back in the time of Jesus, when you needed a loaf of bread, you couldn't go to the store. You had to do a lot of things. You had to maybe grow what it took to make bread. Guess what? You had to find the right kind of seed. You had to wait till the right time of year. You had to wait for the right kind of weather. You had to till the ground. You had to prepare the ground. You had to weed the ground. You had to go out there and pick up the wheat at the right time. Then you had to process that wheat. You had to do everything that was necessary to finally make the bread. It took hard work. It took patience. They went through a process. And what blows my mind today, this is for you young people that are here today. You know, you want to have sex before you get married. And you say, what's wrong with it? Well, what's wrong with it? It's out of the will of God. You want instant gratification. God says, you need patience to wait for it in the process in which God desires for it. In other words, you want sex, so you want to go to the store and get it. And God says, no, I'm going to show you a process that you got to go through before that happens. And if you subvert that process, guess what? There can be some harm done. Nothing good or lasting is instant. I remember my mom and dad telling me that, and I didn't like it then, and I still don't like it now, but I said the same thing to my children. Just about every Sunday, when I was a little boy, my family and I would go out to Grandma and Grandpa Hill in Wellington, Alabama, and have Sunday lunch. We'd get out there and we'd, we'd, we'd have our lunch and about this time of year or whatever when people are planting gardens and things such as that and a little later on in the year when your garden has finally come to fruition, they'd take us out into the garden. And they had a pretty good sized garden and I remember one year my, my grandmother was growing sweet corn. Her and grandpa said, now go out there and, and start work the garden. So I went out there and I, I started pulling some, some corn off the stalks brought them in in my little basket you know and i was so excited look what i got grandma grandpa sweet corn they said oh terry no 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 we forgot you shouldn't have picked the sweet corn it wasn't ready yet i circumvent the process i wanted sweet corn now i wanted grandma i wanted to shuck it right then and, and, and take it off the cob and make some good sweet corn i circumvented the process Anybody ever done anything like that before? Okay. All right. When you hear the word of God, you got to do something. You got to apply the word of God in your life. You are hearing the word of God. Jennifer brought you the word of God. Mark and the praise man brought you the word of God. Your Sunday school teachers go bring you the word of God. I'm bringing you the word of God. You need to apply the word of God in your life. It's a daily priority. Now, you know, one of the things I just, I'm going to open up to you today. One of the things that, 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 that pains me why so many of us succumb to temptation and, and some of the things that we're struggling with is probably because we are experiencing in our community, in this church community, we're only exposing ourselves to the Word of God for about 35 minutes on a Sunday morning, and that's it. Friends, you cannot grow a healthy spiritual body if all you're doing is, is, is coming to the place and receive the Word of God for about 35 minutes or an hour and you go home and you never again get in God's Word. You never again feed on the bread of life. You will starve yourself to death 
That's like getting one cold snack a week. Because that's about what this is. No, you've got to have it on a daily, daily basis. Because when you're in God's Word and you're feeding on the bread of life, it brings you into an awareness of what God has for your life. But the devil's got us so duped that we think we can just come here on Sunday morning and get 35 minutes to an hour's worth of God's Word, and that'll do us for the rest of the week. And then we wonder why we stumble and we fumble and we fall and we succumb to temptations and trials. It's a commitment. It's a commitment to a daily program. And there's an acronym out there that, that I think really shows us what it is. It's called DRIVE. <coughs> Excuse me, guys. Put up D. D is DRIVE. D is every day begins with a daily devotion with God. Every day. Excuse me, i got to cough again. <coughs> R is readiness. It's for that lifelong learning where I'm always reading and studying and getting into God's Word. Okay? The I. The I is investing in key relationships. After God, there's Carolyn. After Carolyn, there's my children. After my children are you, the church. V is for visioning in the future. E is for eating so that I can exercise my life. That brings honor and glory to God. So friends, we have to understand that God has a plan for our lives and a desire for our lives. God has created every one of us in this room with a desire for significance in our lives. You've been created for a purpose in your life. And after you've met, you've met the basic need of, of food and water and shelter... You're looking for some kind of significance in your life. But one thing I've heard is the greatest fear that most people have is not about death. It's about not having a life of purpose. A life of purpose. There are a lot of people out there that are vying for your attention. There are some people out there that are leaders. There's some people out there in the world that are examples to us. But there are also other people out there that are nothing more than just personalities. Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg is a personality. Nelson Mandela is a leader. And the thing about shortcuts to influence and influence is there are shortcuts to becoming infamous, but there are no shortcuts to becoming a kingdom leader. Madonna. Madonna. About a year or so ago, was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Now, I don't know about you, but I personally got some problems with Madonna. We will never, we'll never play Madonna music here in the church, even though we'll play a lot of Elvis and other things like that. Madonna's a personality. Bono is a leader. Begin to understand what the difference is? There are differences, dear friends. So, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was a personality. Can anybody say anything other than scoring and playing great basketball, the other things that he contributed to our culture and our society? P.D. Jakes is a leader. That's the real temptation. It's for us to try to, to, to take shortcuts to influence that we've been created to have. Every one of you in this room have been created to have influence in our culture and our society. Over the weekend, there's a group of adults in this room 
are not in this room, but in this church, who are working with our young ladies on their retreat. I left last night from Sumatanga, and there's a group of leaders in this church, along with our, some of our youth leaders, who are working with the children, going through confirmation class. Why? Why are they sacrificing? Why are we sacrificing time away from our family? Time away from church here on Sunday morning? i tell you why. To have influence on somebody. Those are leaders. And we're raising up leaders because we're being a positive influence upon other people people dear friends now when you talk about affluence when you talk about influence we have to realize some things about that nothing ever astounds god nothing does i thank god for the opportunity that he's given me to be your pastor and be the pastor of this church i thank god for the opportunity that he's allowed me to be part of what god's doing in this congregation I thank God that he's allowed us to be a church that can have an influence upon the people of this community and around the world. Do you realize that what this church is doing are touching lives that many of us will never see? Why? Because we're being an example for Jesus Christ. We're not willing to take the shortcuts. We're not subverting God's call upon our lives. God is allowing us to be an influence of his kingdom. Through the affluence of long-lasting discipline and lifestyle and servanthood. That's what Jennifer talked about. That's how you have influence upon people's lives. It's no longer about you. You get your eyes off yourself. And you look at serving others. So folks, isn't the Word of God amazing? Say yes. The Word of God is amazing. And it's amazing how God wants to use us to communicate His Word. But we've got to be very careful. Because if we're not careful, we can become self-focused in our own little religious party. And our own little religious group. And we just got our little thing going here. And the rest of the world can just have it like they want it. Self-focused religion is a faith that promotes self. As long as I'm the pastor of this congregation, any and everything that's going to be done through this congregation is going to be pointing people to Him. Through Jesus Christ. Not to anybody that's here. Now, do you know we're always doing dumb things in the church? You know that? We are. Now, I'm talking about the church in general, not our church. But we do sometimes do dumb things. But we're doing dumb things in the church. And no wonder the world is so angry and the world is even hostile toward Christianity. You know, one of the dumb things that has emerged in the church in the last 20 years or so is that if you give to God, then God's going to give back to you. Well, you know, there's some truth in that, but that's not why you give. You give to bless God and to honor God by what He's given to you. And then God can take what you give to Him and He can bless other people. And if you get anything back in return, glory, hallelujah, that's just a dessert tray. That's why we give to God. If you give to God and you expect something back, you're giving for the wrong reason. God's going to take care of you. But you're honoring God. So the church sometimes does some dumb things. 
God has placed within every one of us a sacred trust. Trust is more than writing a check. Trust is more than than giving money. It's a trust that God has placed in you and me. And I want you to look around right now and look. They're just ordinary people in this room, okay? God is placing a trust in us as ordinary people to fulfill his purpose. What a trust. What an opportunity. What a privilege God has given us to carry the presence of Jesus Christ into this world. To everywhere we go, every word we say, we want the aroma of Jesus to be shared with other people. We just came through Easter. Easter week. What is all that about? It's about repentance. It's about renewing our commitment and our life and our faithfulness to Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the praise band if you guys would come on down at this time. I believe God is speaking to some hearts and to some lives here today. And I believe God wants you to come to a place of trust with God. A trust that we can't afford to play with. A a desire in our life. God wants us to not be tempted to respond to the other choices that the world gives us. For you see, friends, we cannot afford to play with any other kind of desire in our life. We should seek the desire that God has for us in our personal lives, in our homes, in our families, and in the life of this congregation. So will you pray with me right now? I want to encourage you just to pray. Just bow your head. 20 years ago, I made a statement of repentance to be on a healthy program, to eat wisely and to exercise regularly. And when I did that, I said it out loud. You see, friends, when you say it out loud, people are going to hold you accountable for what you do and what you say. I know we all fail. And maybe some of you are sitting here right now and you're ashamed because of, of what you failed in. But there's no need to be ashamed because we serve a God who's a God of grace and a God of forgetfulness and a God of mercy. So Lord Jesus, we cannot walk this walk by ourselves. I know there are things in our lives that we are powerless to overcome. But Lord God, right now, each one of us in this room are giving you permission to do in our lives everything that you've desired for us in your word. And we pray not my will, but your will be done. And we pray, Lord, that that we never stand as an embarrassment to ourselves or to our families, but most of all to you. And I pray today, God, that we'll feed upon your word daily. And Lord, when temptation and trials come our way, we'll resist it in the name of Jesus Christ. And that, Lord, each of us will be a sweet aroma to this world that will radiate and reflect the person of Jesus Christ. That we'll be servants, God. That we'll be leaders. That we'll be examples. 
And God, we kneel before you today and say, come thy kingdom. Of course, in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.